control. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast, bringing you the latest news in tech from around Ireland and of course around the world. Every Friday evening on RTE Radio is where you'll find us, where you'll find us first on Friday mornings uh, or anytime you like, of course, with your favourite podcasting app, Apple, Spotify, Google or whatever your poison is. A podcast player is, I should say. Uh, my name is Dusty Rhodes. Coming up on episode 884, we're talking about more new tech from Apple. Big announcement next week. Also, how the EU have a plan for our smartphones that Apple may hate, but you and I will love. To talk about it all is our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Uh, Niall, let's talk about Apple, I suppose. That's that's the main sure. conjecture. They're, they're, they're announcing the iPhone 13 on Tuesday. Are you mm-hmm. expecting anything big or just more of the same. Okay. Uh, now, the 12 was a bit of a leap, specifically, uh, particularly in the camera technology. So what can, what can, what's really out there to do? Oddly enough, the, the Mini did not do very well, um, which is quite surprising because in looking at the specs between sort of the, the, the top tier hmm. and uh, the Mini, I, I felt it was, it was, a pretty good substitute. You know, if you don't want a, a very large screen iPhone, I thought it was a, a pretty good option. Mm. Uh, but it hasn't, it has resonated with the public, which is a bit strange. I guess there was that sort of gravitation towards the, the top end of the market on the um, perhaps mistaken impression that it would be future-proofed, which is something that we're, we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, so, yeah, we've got new iPhones. I think it's going to be a modest improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, we will undoubtedly have something to do with iOS 15. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, iOS 14 was a bit of a leap. Um, personally, I would be interested to see if my current iPhone 7 will be cut off from uh, from iOS uh, and see how we get on there. You're, wait, you're um, waiting to see. I'm amazed it has been cut off already. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I, again, this is going to inform the next part of our conversation. But see, this, this is the thing, like Apple occasionally make devices that there is nothing wrong with and they live very full lives uh, and they're, they're lovely. Um, and then they'll just cut them off. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're left with something that is that is basically obsolete, mm-hmm. not through the choice of hardware, but but through software. Exactly um, for no good reason. I've got uh, I've got one of the old cheese grater Mac Pros. Okay, it's mm. oh, what twelve years old, uh, maybe mm. ten or whatever. I can still sell that for a grand. Wow. All right, because it's really, really well-made hardware. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the processor in it is still really good. It's got a whole lot of cores in it. It operates at a really good speed. It's got the the expansion opportunities, which you don't get with the new hardware. I could put all Mm. kinds of SSDs or or hard drives into it. I could put in graphics cards, extra RAM, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. It's wide open to make it as powerful as you want. Can't do mm. that with the uh, local computers. Um, we'll get on to that, uh, what you were hinting at in a second, uh, about longevity. Uh, Apple Car also making the news this week, very briefly. Yeah, very briefly. Apple's um, car tech uh, plans have taken a bit of a setback. Mm. Uh, the head of their car division, Doug Field, has been poached by Ford. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, we haven't seen an Apple car yet, so I guess we don't know what we're missing. Uh, Ford will be delighted because I imagine they've got big plans for um, uh, self-driving cars. Mm. 
which of course we, we we haven't seen yet. But I imagine every big manufacturer has a plan for a self-driving car, uh, even if it's just a, a blue sky thinking. But to to have um, uh, enticed Apple's top guy really sort of says, okay, we're we're onto something. We've got a product. Maybe you might actually see mm. something in in the near future. You know, it's 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 up it's up for grabs in a way that certainly wasn't before. I mean, Ford could have hired somebody that was kind of under the radar, maybe somebody that had been doing work uh, as under one of Google's moonshot projects or mm. something like that. But to have poached Apple's guy, that's a real statement of intent. That certainly is. The only thing when you talk about Apple cars, and I don't know if they'd be a success or not, my guess is the latter. Um, it was a comment from somebody who used to work for Apple and uh, and they don't anymore. And they say, would you really buy a car from a company that only gives you two USB ports on their laptops? <laughs> yeah, that. yeah. You mm. might end up with two seats because that's mm. all you need. <laughs> exactly. Could be something like that. Let's get back to longevity of equipment mm. and this uh, story about uh, the EU, because they want to do something that Apple are probably not going to like or Samsung or any of the smartphone manufacturers. But you and I will love. What are they up to? Yeah, because we love talking about the right to repair. Uh, it's a brilliant thing. It's one of the best ideas the EU have had. Uh, and it's a great example of sticking up for the for the consumer. Um, of course, the right to repair began in, in the States with farm machinery, basically, um, because farmers didn't have the expertise to take, you know, their their high-end um, Massey Ferguson or John Deere to a, a dealership that could be hundreds of miles away. Um, so they said, okay, just make the parts available so we can fix it ourselves. Um, and of course, that's that's a movement that has been spreading across the US. And of course, it's coming over here mm. as well. So now we're getting one step further from you know having the right just to have a third party look at and fix your mobile phone and to be able to have the expertise and the parts to be able to do so. The EU is now saying, well, do you know what? Um, yeah, we reckon seven years is a reasonable lifespan for a, for a smartphone. We're going to start holding you to that. And uh, now this hasn't quite come in yet. This is mm. this is moves afoot by the German government. But they, basically they are proposing um, uh, a set of measures to make sure spare parts and security updates will be available for seven years for your phone. Uh, parts will be at a, what they call a reasonable price mm-hmm. and that your battery will be roughly 80% full after after that 1000 charge cycle uh, mark. Um, so this is great as well, sort of uh, making sure that these lines are in the sand and of course, mm. making sure that software updates are available and compatible for five years, um, which speaks to my problem with my, my iPhone 7. Will it still be functional when the next uh, version of iOS comes Mm. along. Well, within EU law, we might get a point where you say, "Okay, look, you've got five years uh, minimum to make sure everything works. Um, Otherwise, you're you're in trouble. You're in line for sanction, uh, whatever. And of course, the the alternative uh, is if you can't adhere to these rules, well, guess what? Maybe you should just uh, ask for, you know, an exchange at a reduced rate yeah. or, you know, maybe be, um, uh, maybe even get a, a new handset offer to you. Uh, <laughs> gratis, free gratis. What, what do you reckon of all this? Uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's brilliant. Uh, and I think they're absolutely right. Uh, it, you remind me of a story of a friend of mine who's unpacking stuff. He's been away for a long time and has, uh, uh, has come back to Europe. Uh, and he's been unpacking all the stuff that he left in storage here before he left, right? So it's a hmm. couple of years, but it's about, probably about five years, actually. 
Um, and he just put up a photograph the other day of a radio and he went, look what I just found in a box, he says. It hasn't been turned on in five years. I plugged it in. It didn't need any updates. It didn't need any upgrades. <laughs> it didn't need anything. It just started playing music within 10 seconds. <laughs> Why can't yeah. everything be like that? And I'm kind of thinking, yeah, you know, I I need an app to turn the lights on in my house. <laughs> yeah. Which is great yeah. when it's on a timer, all right? But when the timer runs out and if you're still up at that hour of the night, then you fish out the phone, find the app, da-da-da, mm. whatever. And it's just like, oh, for God's sake. Anyways, yeah. uh, sometimes uh, progress is not always progress. Listen, last thing uh, on our slate for today is... <laughs> Bitcoin, because it's had an interesting week in that uh, we'd covered it before about it becoming legal tender in El Salvador. This week, it actually did. And I believe in the run up to yeah. that, maybe it was part of it or whatever, but Bitcoin was hitting more highs of over $50,000 in value. Uh, when it actually hit the streets, as it were, in El Salvador as a fully legit currency, what happened? Yeah, uh, the, the value really took a tumble down to... 30,000 in July. Mm. Um, it was that high of 63,000 in April. And right now we're at roughly 51,000. So we're mm. actually heading towards a, another high in terms of value. Mm. Uh, what they're doing in El Salvador is quite interesting. Uh, what you will do is you have the option to download a dedicated app, uh, which of course come, is developed by the government. And you've got $30 basically worth of Bitcoin uh, in your account just for downloading the app. It's sitting there in this little digital wallet. And that's one thing you can do. There's also uh, 200 new cash machines have been deployed across the country mm -hmm. uh, where you can um, uh, take out Bitcoin if you, if you so wish. Um, but I mean, if you look at uh, the number of people that are actually using it and for the purposes of which they're, they're kind of using it. Mm. Uh, apparently, Central American University found that only 4.8% of people they surveyed knew what Bitcoin was and how, it's, how it was used. And 68% of people on the same survey said they disagreed with using it as legal tender. Well, that's not a surprise because people don't like change. What's wrong with money? Cash in my pocket. I like it. And it's something that comes along like COVID. Cash use has just nosedived since COVID came along. And we've had credit cards and bank cards and we've had this, that and the other and apps and all. And we, we had them for years and people still mm -hmm. use cash. And it was only COVID came along, boom, cash, uh, COVID died. So people don't like change and they won't do it unless they have to. Unless there's a reason to. Oh, I mean, my, my default when I take a taxi now mm -hmm. is just I pay by card. And the last taxi I took, the guy was cash only and I nearly had a heart attack. I was like, mm -hmm. what? What do, you, what do you mean you don't you do, not do um, you know, uh, chip and pin or just tap yeah. to go? Uh, you know, it, it sounded completely... Um, uh, antiquated to me. I, I, I still had a bit of cash in my wallet, but it's the same 20 euro note that has been there for the last two years. Because <laughs> Niall's a big spender, aren't you, Niall? I'm a big, big spender, don't you know? Grand. Listen, on that note, let's leave it there for the news for this week. Niall, thank you very much. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. With more and more pandemic restrictions being lifted, it's a good time to look back and see the effects that it's had on the way we live, the way we work, the way we learn, and indeed what 
we learn. Olus Education is an Irish company that has developed a digital learning platform to help teach digital skills. CEO Dermot O'Murrisa explained how it works to Niall Kitson. As we're recording this, we've had a, a little bit of good news in that we're hearing about the the ultimate uh, end of restrictions for COVID-19. But of course, the schools have already started coming back. So it's I guess it's a good time to reflect on um, the experiences we've had over the last 18 months in the classroom and what we've actually, uh, what we can pick up and hold on to as opposed to thinking, well, that's over. Let's just go back to, you know, learning as usual. So what do you think people will hang on to going into sort of the the years to come, perhaps from the perspective of change in the classroom, but maybe also looking at curricula as well? Yeah, I I think there are a number of things. Obviously, as you say, the key is to to take the, the positives from what we've experienced. We were forced as a as a whole society to really embrace technology in a way that I guess we had never done before. And, and I suppose in the education space, teachers were asked to embrace technology in a way that would have been unthinkable two years ago. If you had told teachers you're going to be delivering an entire term of classes online, they would have recoiled in horror. And yet that's what they had to do. And that's what they did. So I, I suppose a number of things, obviously we don't want to see kids back stuck in front of laptops eight hours a day. That wasn't really good for anyone but the important thing is how do we, how do we, I suppose, concentrate on or, or take the best from the possibilities that have opened up to teachers that now realise, actually, do you know what, I can do this stuff. If I really have to, it's not quite so scary. I can, I can get in and do it. And how do we support them in that as well and make sure that teachers and schools have what they need to, to go and, and fill? We always talk about the digital skills gap. How do we make sure that they fill that digital skills gap, gap that, kids are, are leaving school with those most important skills. So, I mean, look, there's a whole load of ways we can, we can, we can approach those questions. I'm sure we'll touch on some of them, but the key thing for me is really concentrating on, we now know there's all these possibilities. We can do a lot more than we realized. So let's go and make the best of that. So where does Olus come in and all this? Because uh, you're looking to bring together a number of solutions to the, to the classroom that are kind of already there and to make them palatable, perhaps to bridge that digital divide. Yeah, so I suppose we have we have three key pillars that we talk about. So the first one is is our platform, which includes lesson plans, resources, videos, planning tools for the school, all sorts of things like that. And it's basically about saying we want to make sure that the teachers in the classroom have everything they need to go and deliver these digital skills. And we talk about uh, digital skills or, or lessons in digital skills. That does include things like coding, but it's also... Well, you know, for our history class, maybe instead of, of doing a project on paper, we're, we're making ebooks or we're making some sort of a, a video montage or, or, or these various things. And as I say, giving the teachers the tools to go and deliver those lessons, or even in some cases where teachers maybe don't have a super high level of confidence to say, well, look, here's resources that the kids can actually work through on their own. And that's, I suppose, a big focus for us going forward is that sort of student-led learning. So that's, that's our first pillar is those resources into the classroom. The second bit then is the sort of consulting and training and support piece that goes around that. So when a school is looking at this, and in many cases, again, you know, principals are there and they haven't really been trained in this stuff. They maybe didn't do uh, take the digital learning modules in college and they're being asked to put plans in place in areas. They just don't have a lot of expertise and there's maybe not a lot of support. So where Olus then comes in is we have this whole kind of consulting package where we will help a school develop a 
digital learning plan or I mean most of them will have something in place but to refine that and figure out well how do we actually roll this out across the whole school because the key is to have a plan in place where it's not just you know Mrs. So-and-so in second class is quite good and Mr. So-and-so in fifth class does a bit but it's a bit you know apart from that it's, it, there, there, are, there are gaps there it's a bit saying well how do we make sure that every class is doing what they need to do the same way they would in maths you know what's covered in first class in second class you pick that up and work 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 on it and take it to the next step and so on it needs to be the same for digital skills so i say that consulting training support that's our second pillar then the third pillar uh is the extracurricular side of it and this this is where we can take kids from those kind of relatively basic digital skills and uh, the, the sort of the, the the pillar of that or the, the core of that for us at the moment is the pathway to computer science which is a 10 grade system so it's analogous to people who are probably familiar with say the the violin grades or piano grades of these kind of things where we're saying look we'll start them off the absolute most basic grade one is a parent and child module where you're literally learning to you know move windows around and, and type and keyboard skills mouse skills all that stuff all the way up to grade 10 is sort of you know almost late university level uh computer science and it's about giving kids the opportunity to develop those very advanced skills as they would, as they in, in music or sports or all these different areas. There are these opportunities, but in technology, we sort of just, you know, we imagine that, oh, well, the people who are interested in will, will drive that learning themselves. And what we're saying is, well, actually, you can do an awful lot more if you have those supports around them. Yes, there, there's always that sense that schools have their digital champions, uh, if you will. And that's that's kind of, uh, that's done. It's off to one side. It's sort of the, the guy you can sort of ask to fix the computer. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we still seem to be in that sort of mindset to, to, a, to a, a great extent. So you mentioned there the role of extracurricular activities. We're not quite there in getting those back on stream. So what, what kind of challenges do you see there, perhaps from the recruitment perspective perhaps from getting teachers more involved um well in terms of the the extracurricular side of things as you say we're, we're starting to 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 see well uh, hopefully extracurriculars will be sort of back on stream in the next month or two obviously there's been a, a long period of disruption with them we have actually and, and under the, the sort of predecessor brand the academy of code which has now come to form part of olus along with cocoon the academy of code moved everything online um back in in march 2020 and it's worked incredibly well for us uh we have found that i suppose coding lends itself very well to online lessons we have these small groups where you maybe have five or six students in with the teacher they can all share their screens at the same time so the teacher can see what's going on and it just works really really well so I suppose what, what we would see is that's a really key part of the whole sort of digital skills ecosystem, if you like, that, you know, in the same way kids might learn a bit of tin whistle in school, but if they're interested in music, they're going to go and take more advanced classes outside of school. We don't expect the sort of mainstream school system to bring them up beyond that basic level or the same with sports or the same with anything. If you want to go to the next level, you go and do it kind of outside of school. Uh, we would see the extracurricular piece as really, really important that you're giving kids that framework to to go and say, look, take this, see how far you can go with this, you know. So then uh, looking at that sort of background in, in Academy of Code, uh, what sort of drew you to uh, explore the, the education space? Because again, there has been that digital divide. There have been sort of digital champions operating kind of uh, in isolation, uh, specifically when it comes to code. Um, uh, to what extent do you think, uh, or rather, what drew you 
to uh, to teaching code or to putting in place a system to make code easier for kids to learn? I, I suppose it was, in many ways, it was very much the sort of scratch your own itch thing. Now, obviously, I had gone beyond the point of being a potential student for this, but my background is in IT. I studied computer and electronic engineering in college. I was working as an IT consultant uh, for, for a number of years as a software developer. And it just seemed incredibly obvious to me that this should be a thing. And it was one of those, I suppose, almost classic origin stories where you say, this should be a thing. It sh- there should be a place where, you know, a child can go or a parent can say, my kid is really interested in this stuff. Let's put them on the pathway. And in, you know, six or seven years time, they're going to develop a really high level of competence in the same way you send them to violin lessons and they get up to grade eight and they're sort of at, at concert violinist level uh, uh, skill set. And that didn't exist. And I'd sort of looked at this and, and kept an eye on the sector for a while. And there, there there were, I mean, there's an awful lot of really good work being done. And, and you know, I won't go name checking people, but there's an awful lot of people in, in the sort of community of educators who do a ton of really good work on this. But as you said, it's all quite isolated. It, it tends to be quite piecemeal for whatever reason. It hasn't really scaled. And what we would see is that where there are solutions that have scaled, there are some of these big websites that you can go on and there are lessons. They're quite impersonal. So I suppose to a certain extent, we kind of went down that middle route where we said, we want to build this in a way that it will scale. We have a big team now of, of uh, it's about 30, 35 tutors uh, involved and drawn from a lot of them would be would be kind of under, undergrad computer scientists or master's computer science students. So very high, high skill levels, but it's allowed us to scale it to, you know, a, a reasonable degree, we would have had over a thousand students a week coming into us through our, our various channels last term. But at the same time, you do have, as I mentioned earlier, the very small groups. So you've got a six to one group. So as a student, you're coming into the same tutor every week. You've got a degree of accountability there. You've got a degree of sort of support. Uh, I mean, the classic thing I'm, I'm sure you've you've covered before is any of the sort of the large online courses the, the dropout rates are, are just through the roof. You know, you're, you've got sort of sub 1% completion rates on some of these free online courses because there's no accountability, there's no sense of community. Whereas if you're going into a class every week and you know you've got your four or five uh, mates in there with you and you know your teacher and you get on well with them and you can have a bit of fun in the class, there, we find that the, the, the retention rates are actually very, very high. So it's it's giving people that sense of community, something that they want to keep coming back to. And that's a really powerful thing. So then looking at the the ultimate educational outcome of these things, do you see it being a case of just addressing the basic literacy issue or do you view it as more of a, a, an organised pathway to a career in computer science? We, we would see it as both. Um, and I suppose when I talked about the, the pillars earlier, we have the, the in-school piece and the, the extracurricular piece. I think it's really, really important sort of across society that, we raise the level of digital skills. There's a sort of a myth at the moment of the digital native generation where we say, oh, kids these days, they're all so great. But what we actually mean is they know how to use a smartphone or a tablet. That's been very well designed to be easy to use. But if you actually ask them to go from being a consumer to being a creator, it doesn't quite work the same way. You know, there is a separate process, if you like, required to get them up to those skill levels. And we would see even if people are not going to go on and become software developers, those sort of basic digital skills are used absolutely everywhere. In almost every job, you might have those basic digital skills are really important. And there's an awful lot of people in those jobs that don't have those skills. So a big piece of this is let's get kind of 
everybody as far as we can. And, and we very much would have a, a, a wide view of where we want to be. We want to be in sort of every school. Let's get them all up to that level. But equally then, that extracurricular piece where they can go to a very high level. We had a, a very exciting program, which unfortunately we didn't get to run last year but for, for the obvious reason of COVID. But uh, we had the MANA, the drone delivery company, had agreed to take one of our students uh, on a short internship. So this would have been probably a 16 or 17-year-old who was at the, the upper end of our curriculum to go in and spend a couple of weeks uh, with them out in UCD. And I say didn't end up happening, but that, that was very much, uh, and hopefully we will, we will revive this maybe next year, but a sort of a, a framework for for getting students those incredible opportunities, that sort of exposure to really exciting stuff and I suppose inspiring people to go into the careers. Um, one of the things that shocked me when we started out, I'm sure this number is a little bit out of date, but we were as a country only graduating about 2000 people in ICT. And that's quite a broad definition, it includes things like telecommunications, engineering and stuff like that. We're only graduating about 2000 people from third level across the whole country which is a tiny, tiny number compared to the demand for those skills. So we're sort of saying we need to get an awful lot more people into those tracks. And we also, I suppose, alongside that, we need to get more people from outside of the sort of stereotype of your computer scientists, computer engineers. Obviously, we need to get more girls interested, which comes back to the you can't just go out on a you know careers fair and talk to 18-year-olds who have no interest in computer science and hope you're going to convert them. You have to start earlier. You have to expose them to it earlier. Um and, and, and hope to, I suppose, build that interest so that when they get to 16, 17, 18, they're making those decisions. More people are saying, actually, ICT, you know, whether it's, it's, it's software development or any of the sort of related fields, that they know what it's about, they see the opportunities and they say, actually, yeah, that might be for me. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Dermot O'Murasa from Olus Education. For more on the company and what it does, you can visit their website. It's olasuedu.com. The link for with the exact spelling is in the show notes on your podcast player right now. That is it for our show for this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more all on our website at techcentral.ie or of course listen to us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio and Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Nile Kitson, have a great weekend. Talk to you soon. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.